again and welcome to episode 12 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. Our guest, Noah Alexander, is the owner and founder of Classic Car Studio. Established in 2006, the shop delivers picture-perfect resto mods to its clients. In this episode, Noah gives us some insight into how to run a tight ship for a satisfied customer and a healthy bottom line. Now, quick reminder that you can hear this episode, as well as all past and future episodes on your favorite platform, be it SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at our website, theshopmag.com. Hey, and tell a friend or a coworker about it. So without further ado, let's get in gear with Noah. I'm wondering how the how Classic Car Studio got started. What was the impetus for this? What was the beginnings of Classic Car Studio? So we started actually buying and selling cars. I was in school and I got out of school and realized the corporate world was not really my world. I think I could have done it. It would have been fine, but I wouldn't have loved it the way I love this. So I had a brief gap in my education where I was, I realized that I needed more than my bachelor's degree. So I was like, well, I need to go get a master's degree. That's, that's, that's what I really need in life. Yeah. But I had a semester off. I started working for this guy locally and I was, uh, I, I responded to an ad in the newspaper and it said something hilarious, like lucrative opportunity. Anyway, it was <laughs> a salesperson and, and it was an exotic car place. So I had never had a sales job before you know, and I was 22 and I kind of nervously showed up at this place and I, I had, like I said, about a semester to kill, got a job and it really took off. Realized I was, I was good at sales. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did not, ex- I, I didn't have the confidence really before I started to think that, that would be the case. So I worked there for about a year, uh, learned a lot about the automotive industry. I'd always been into cars, you know, that was nothing new to me, but didn't mm-hmm. think I would be lucky enough to work in that industry. Yeah. I then went off on my own after about a year and a half or two years and started just buying and selling cars that I personally really liked, you know, muscle cars, European cars, just kind of rare, desirable, low mileage stuff for well-restored vehicles. And that led to needing to work on the vehicles and all the cool stuff came from that need for, for service work and, you know, restoration work. So over the course of we've been here, this is our 14th year in business. We were able to develop what's really an, a, become an amazing restoration facility with just the best possible team members, teammates. They're, they're like my family at this point. And, you know, we're, like you said, we're doing cool stuff. It's exciting. Okay. So since you started the shop in 2006, how has the shop evolved and what steps have you taken to improve efficiency and quality over the years? Because I'm sure that over that time, you've learned some things, right? Yes, this is, a, this is an industry where lessons are expensive. We, we realized that in doing these big projects, there were certain parts of the project that always went well, for the most part. And we, we, we started accumulating all this data, which we never looked at. And we, we figured after a while, was like, you know what, if we look deeper into these numbers, we can find the stuff we should do. We can find the stuff we should never do again. And we should we can find the stuff that we can improve on. So we ended up building uh, over the course of four years, uh, this software system, and it monitors everything on the job. So Kind of in a nutshell, you put in your, your entire job. There's a labor line for every single labor line in the job. And then all of our techs clock in 
on those labor lines on their phone or a tablet. So you know on the fly where you always are in every job. And this is across every different labor operative on the job. It also takes parts into account. So you know where every part is. You know if the part's been ordered. You know if the part's shipping. You know if the part's arrived. And after it's arrived, you know exactly where the part is inside our building. Mm-hmm. And, and whenever we notice a shortcoming or a gap or something that's not that efficient, we kind of look towards our system to try to improve that. What were some of the things that you found in the data as you looked at it that kind of caught your eye and you were like, based on this data, we can fix this or we can make it better? Absolutely. There's a couple different things that I'll kind of touch on, but parts were tricky because we had so many different parts for so many different projects that are in all these different stages that are being ordered and that they come in. Um, when you're building custom cars, you order a part, it's wrong. You got to send it back. So uh, we had parts that we'd ordered and that were not getting returned and we'd given customers credit for. And, you know, we're still sitting in the building. We had parts that we thought we'd ordered, but we didn't know we'd ordered. So there was, at the end of the day, you know, working off a paper system, there just wasn't enough accountability and people really couldn't even be held accountable or know what to do because there wasn't like a, a strict system in place. So This has been kind of like a relief and anxiety reducer for everybody, just keeping track of all those parts. So now we order them. We know who we ordered them from. We know when we ordered them. You know, we we know who exactly ordered the part. There's timestamps on everything. And then when they come in, we know when they came in, who accepted them in, and then where where the part went in the building. So... Being able to have all those parts lined up and, you know, so when a project starts, it's it's running very efficiently has is, is been key for us. So uh, on a labor standpoint, the runaway thing was always fabrication. Uh-huh. And it's the passion, you know, that, that drove that, that runaway. It's the guys that just love doing this work. They're so good at doing this work. And they didn't want to really be bound by times or it's, it's like, I'm making this cool thing. Just let me make it. Uh, then on our end, we're, we're saying, well, this is incredible, but the customer has to kind of be on board with paying for this stuff and being okay with how long it's going to take. So the good thing there is we were we were able to say, you can keep doing this amazing work, but we knew for all these different, if we did a, a fully custom engine bay, we know that, that that's going to take us X hours. So when we bid it on the next job, we can say, hey, we've done 10 of these bays like this in the last two years. And it cost on average, you know, this much money. So, you know, it, it's helped us put us from an estimation standpoint and from bidding job standpoint, it really helped put us, you know, way ahead there and allow us to continue doing really cool work, mm-hmm. just communicate and uh, let the customers know where we're going to be. So, well, in addition to your software system, what other technologies are you employing? Every year we try to increase the efficiency of custom made parts. We have a CNC plasma table now. Uh, we're in the process of buying a laser. These are just things where we can have uh, some pre-programmed stuff, parts we use a lot yeah. that we can turn off more quickly. So it's it's a balance. We still want to be able to make amazing car parts for customers. But we want to make it more cost-effective for them as well. Sure. So digital stuff has been huge for us. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Are you utilizing three D printing as well? Absolutely. We do a lot of three D printing. Some of our early stuff was really terrible. And we've been working on improving that stuff. So, you know, with a lot of this equipment, you have to kind of learn the limits of it and yeah. learn the different materials and how you can actually actually deploy that into these projects. So we've gotten to a place now where we kind of know what, what the limits are and what we can do and maybe what we shouldn't do. 
but we still continue to kind of explore. And, you know, it's like you make something that doesn't work out. You might make it 10 times on the 3D printer. You're going to figure out what, what you need to do next time or maybe if you should or shouldn't do it again. So 3D printing has been great for us. So what are you using the 3D printer for? I mean, is it uh, prototyping or are you using it for actual parts? How are you utilizing it exactly? We're actually doing both. We do prototype a lot of parts on it. It's a, a very cost-effective way to prototype a part. So that's great. But we really wanted to figure out how we could use it to produce parts and actual builds, mm. very custom one-off stuff. And the good thing about it is if it doesn't work out the first time, it doesn't matter because you're at home sleeping and you come in the next day and the thing's like rotten and terrible and you can just print it again. So we've been doing a lot of interior parts. We've come a long way with our interior design and just trying to work towards interiors that look very much like high-end OE cars that are being produced now. And the 3D printer has been, been huge, whether it's pieces inside a center console, pieces for, you know, for gauges, gauge surround, custom vents. It's uh, little little switches. Um, it's cool. So uh, we, we're constantly exploring there and trying to to find out what we can use that equipment for. Okay, um, is there is there something different with renderings that you're doing that maybe most people are not? You know, that's something we're probably doing it in a very similar manner to to many other people. Okay. Um, some of it we do internally. Some of it we, we outsource. Eric Brockmeyer has done a lot of wonderful work for us. We like his style. And for us, the thing with renderings is you have to be able to build the rendering. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of renderings out there that either the artist doesn't understand how the vehicle is laid out internally inside the interior. So that they'll create a lot of stuff that you can't actually build. Yeah. But when you start doing like, oh, well, the dash doesn't actually look like that. So it can't flow, flow into the top of the door panel because there's just no physical way. So the most important thing on renderings is that they're actually achievable for us in, in the end. Um, but in, in terms of the overall rendering process, we're doing pretty much what everybody does from an initial, an initial design process. What we continue to expand on is, you know, it started off as exterior, engine, interior, and now we've gotten into doing finer details just to kind of flush out down, down to like little bezels in the interior, switches, mm. gate, just getting deeper and deeper into the design there because we found that when we did, the, the builds got better and better and um, looked more custom. Okay. It's obviously you embrace technology for your processes. Are you incorporating new technologies into your restorations? As much as possible. We're at a pretty wonderful high point right now in terms of custom car building. So there's so many amazing technologies out there and integrations. Um, One of the things we've been working on a lot lately is getting away from the uh, original equipment door latches on vehicles because they just, they never shut correctly. Mm. Or if they do, they're really loud and clanky. We've been using latches out of newer cars and then the internal uh, mechanisms that are in the door. Um, basically trying to use stuff that's already been developed and worked on a whole lot by other engineers from major auto manufacturers. Uh, so we, we're taking that technology and we're putting them into the older car. So when the doors shut, they're nice and quiet. Customers notice right away. They're like, whoa, that's cool. But there's a lot more plastic parts. So they're quiet. They're not clunky. They line up better. And, and the operation's really smooth. It's just a little touch that I feel like for something you're using a lot, which is the in and out of the car, that you never think about improving. We've been able to, to do that quite a bit. Uh, we're building a, this is an awesome project we're working on, but we have a 56 Ford 
Uh, it started off as a F six hundred, so it was a big dump truck, but it had a it was on a farm. It had a wonderful, amazing, and solid cab, and we're building it into a four door. It has uh, suicide doors on the rear, and then the uh, standard doors on the front, and then we're building. We built all the floors. We built all new rockers. We built custom doors, and there's no pillar in the middle, so we're using a, a trunk mechanism off of a late model car. So when the door shuts, it shuts 95% of the way. So you can picture two suicide doors kissing and closing together. And mm-hmm. when those doors shut, they actually suck closed. You know, this is just, uh, like I said, little stuff again, but mm-hmm. customers absolutely love, I love, love this stuff when it's integrated. All right. So are you incorporating, does that include like um, entertainment systems, sound? It's it's funny because our customers never, they're never really that into the stereos in the cars. But one of the things we're working on currently with our interiors is improving the sound on the inside of the car. Uh, we've changed around a lot of our, and that that's not just how the stereo sounds, yeah. how the how the vehicle sounds when it's going down the road, you know, road nose on the tires, you know, stones hitting inside the wheel wells. So We've really gone, we keep stepping up our game in terms of insulation, sound deadening to improve the road noise and just the actual driving experience. But it's helped us develop a lot better stereo systems in these vehicles as well. Yeah. So we focused a lot on on speaker placement, which is hard, really hard on a classic car where you're, you know, especially coming, you know, stereo is almost like the last thought. But now we're, we're planning all that stuff really early on in the interior. So the speakers are pointed at your ears mm-hmm. as, as you'd find in a home stereo um, and not pointed sideways at each other across the car. And then uh, there's appropriate sound ending in the vehicle and around the speaker. Um, we're building all of our speaker boxes for every speaker in the car, uh, usually custom. So we've, we've been able to improve. And, you know, it's something that, you know, the sound in the car is not something that a customer is ever going to request. But... We want people driving stuff as much as possible. And if it makes for a better driving experience, it's totally worth doing in our book. Can you share, is there anything specific you can share about improving the sound quality that y'all found that has worked? Yeah, absolutely. So beyond our standard, we're big on sound skins at the moment. It, It works well. They like working with the material. And it's got a nice double layer of, it has foam on the top and then the metal and then with like the kind of tar backing on the bottom. So that's been a nice material. On top of that, we'll do an extra layer of padding between that and the carpeting. So mm-hmm. it's it's you're already kind of trending towards quiet there. The doors are very, very important. So we're, we've been testing all of our vehicles on the road without our doors put together because there's always rattles inside doors, especially with all these aftermarket window kits that just you, you can't really seem to dial in. You have to keep taking the interior part over and over and over again. So we've been testing our cars with a lot of the interior parts out in the initial like couple hundred miles when we first get them going. And that's allowed us to improve sound editing, especially inside the doors, reduce rattles. We've also worked a lot on the wheel wells because we realized that we had, even though we had sound editing on the top, it wasn't really it wasn't really stopping you know rocks and, and noises inside the wheel wells. So we've been coating all of our wheel wells on the top and the bottom, which has created like a much quieter ride because you're always running over stones and rocks in the road that were creating a lot of noise. We've also been working on isolating the exhaust system from the body a little bit to stop vibrations there. So I don't know, like I said, it's kind of nerdy stuff, but 
we build everything to drive. We want people to use them as much as possible. And these are usually issues customers would come back to after the fact and say, oh, you know, it's really, it'd be really good, but this, this is rattling, that's rattling. I hear a lot of road noise. Um, so we've been uh, on cars that are not crazy show cars that are just going to be taken to shows. We really work on that stuff. It's kind of been a cool thing to tweak and, and improve. So, You know, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface here. And you know what the music means. <laughs> Our time is up. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I'm serious about that. I mean, I I feel like there's so much more that we can talk about. I'd love to have you on again. Yeah. And maybe we can dig into some other other subjects of interest. So if you'd be up for that, that would be fantastic. That would be great. I I feel like I could talk for 10 hours about this stuff. (laughs) We'd love for you to do that, too. (laughs) Not right now, but any any other time. Thank you for having me on, though. I, I do appreciate the opportunity. No, thank you. Hey, you can check out Classic Car Studio's fabulous builds, the latest from their shop, as well as Noah's podcast at ClassicCarStudio.com. And look for more from Classic Car Studio in the pages of The Shop Magazine and The Shop's daily e-newsletter. Go to TheShopMag.com to find out more. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios amigos.